How to Respond When the Lord is Speaking. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. If you hear his voice, will you listen and obey, or will you harden your heart? In other words, the moment he speaks, here's the simple response. Yes, Lord, give me the power. It's so simple, but Satan wants to make it feel like it's a mountain. It's a giant we can't handle. We can't handle it. That's the correct response. So you say, yes, Lord, change me. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. If you've never heard the Lord say something difficult to you, I doubt if you've ever heard the Lord speak at all, said Oswald Chambers. What a challenge. Is it true? And if so, what are the implications? Can we or do we miss hearing the Lord speaking to us because what we're hearing is too difficult? Well, today's Grow in Grace will help us answer these questions. Hello, we're very glad to have you with us as Pastor Ed continues in the book of Hebrews. It's there we discover that God, the Spirit who inspired the Word, is speaking to you today. Picking up on that point from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, here's Pastor Ed. If you hear his voice, if you will hear his voice, Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, so the Scripture declares that the Holy Spirit is the author. This is taken from the psalm we started with, Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11. This psalm, in context, was a part of worship. It was a psalm of thanksgiving, of worship. It was sung in the temple. We don't know the melody line. Nobody could record in those days. There were no notes written down for it. It was also used by the early church. The psalms were sung, we're told. But the point is, it says today. Now, when it uses the word today, it means this instant. It means right now, God is speaking into your life. Not because I'm anything, but because we're looking at God's Word, and it is alive. It is a two-edged sword. So as you sit here, God is saying things to you different than the person sitting next to you, which is amazing that God is able to do that. The question is, if you hear his voice, will you listen and obey Or will you harden your heart? We'll see that as we work through this. In other words, the moment God speaks to me, and he's been speaking to me for two weeks about these verses, and it's called the gift of conviction. So I'm going to help you have the gift here too. And we can both feel so blessed that we're gifted with conviction of failures to do things and doing things we shouldn't. That's where this is going too. All right. So He speaks to us. He's speaking to you right now in this instant. God just spoke to some of you. Some of you are going, I'm not listening, you know, that whole thing. But he wants us to listen. And here's the simple response. Yes, Lord, give me the power. It's so simple, but we fight it. Why? Because we're black-hearted pirates who are rebellious and we want to run our own lives. 
Oh, maybe it's just me. None of you related to that. You give me that look like, well, I'm sorry, Pastor, you're so rebellious. I, however, am totally obedient to God. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay. But Satan wants to make it feel like it's a mountain. It's a giant we can't handle. We can't handle it. That's the correct response. So you say, yes, Lord, change me. That's the whole message of this section. That when God speaks to you, when God speaks to me, I'm supposed to respond at that moment. If you hear his voice, then just say, yes, Lord. This is a concept that you can see easily in D.L. Moody's life. Okay, so Moody, some of you know the name. He was uh, the Billy Graham of his day, you know, Civil War times. And he worked uh, as an evangelist in the city of Chicago. Not an overly educated man, but just spoke. God's word to people, and thousands, tens of thousands of people came to belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, God the Son who died for their sins. But Moody had a habit at the end of every service to say these words, go home and think about what I've said. Every time he closed out the service, he wanted people to think about it, so he said those words. But then one night, October of 1871, October 8th, changed all that. He never again said those words. Because as he was speaking that night in Farewell Hall in Chicago, tough area then and still to this day, he told the people, just do that. Go home and think about it. Then he called up the singer, the guy's name was Sankey, I was Sankey, and the band to come back and sing one last song. And so he started to sing, Today the Savior Calls. But before he could finish the song, Sankey was interrupted by the bells of the city tolling. All the church bells, all the fire bells were ringing in the city because the great Chicago fire had started. Mrs. O'Leary's cow had kicked over the lantern, set the straw on fire, that set her barn on fire, that burned more than almost 90% of the city of Chicago to the ground. So everybody had to leave because they couldn't hear anything, but hundreds of people died in that fire. And that's why Moody said he would never again say those words, and instead he would quote this very verse. Today, if you hear the voice of God, respond. In fact, he actually had it printed on the lintel on the top uh, over the stage. And when they rebuilt Moody Church, 3,000 seats still today, you can go and visit it, all wood. It has those words still up there. Today, if you hear his voice, dot, dot, dot. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't think about it. You may not have an opportunity. It was built into that statement. This instant, when you hear God's voice, respond to it. Because the further you go away from that, when he speaks the second time and the third time and the fourth time, you harden your heart, verse 12 says. You begin to build up a wall, and pretty soon you won't hear his voice. That's why it says, if you can still hear his voice, thank God you can still hear his voice. Because you haven't hardened your heart so much. It might be dim. <laughs> it might be way back there. But he's speaking about something in your life. Certainly is in my life, too. And you just say, yes, God. Give me the power to face that giant, whatever it is in your life and mine. So, two questions. One, is it today? Yes, not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. It's today. So, today's the day. Are you hearing God speak to you right now? Only you know that. But I guarantee you, at least 90%, I would say 95% of us in this room 
are hearing God's voice. That's not the problem. The problem is I want to say, no, 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 no. God is speaking right now. Do not harden your heart. Verse 8 says, it'll be again in verse 12, as in the rebellion, the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, there's two words here, the rebellion and trial that refer to Old Testament stories. Now, the people that received this letter knew exactly what he was talking about. We probably don't, most of us, because we're not familiar enough with the Old Testament. But the first one, rebellion, is the word rephidim or Miraban in uh, the Old Testament. You can read about it in Exodus 17. You can get green stars on your heaven chart if you do that this afternoon before the baptism. I'm lying. There are no stars. Okay? But read it because you need it. So at Rephidim, the people thought they were going to die of thirst. God will not be able to save us. Rephidim was very close to the border of Sinai when they first came in after they left Egypt. And their attitude stunk, okay? It was God can't do that. He's not strong enough. He's not able to take care of us. Think about this little rock around. Moses hit it and out poured water. Kadesh, the second one, Masa, is the word for trial. It was at the border where they would go into the promised land. God takes them there. They get up to it and they don't want to go in. God says, well, send in 12 spies. I'm giving you the thumbnail version. Uh, 12 spies go in. They come back. Ten of them said, no, 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 no. There's giants in there. And there were. We can't do it. They were right. They couldn't by themselves. But God said, I'll do it. I'll go before you. I'll be your front guard and your rear guard. That's what God's saying to you. What is it that you're facing that's a giant in your life? Have you ever been there? To Kadesh? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe that's why you're here in church, because there's something that you can't handle in your life. You can't get rid of it, but you can't fix it. Thank God that you've recognized that. Because the truth is, when I try and help God, it doesn't work very good. <laughs> it takes him twice as long to clean up the mess I made before he actually does the thing that I was needing to get done. Kadesh Barnea. They're in all of our lives. There are giants in everyone. We think we can't do it, and that's exactly right. Have you been to Kadesh? That's the question. And in fact, both these places, Rephidim and Kadesh, are part of our lives. I'm thirsty. God can't handle it. Yes, he can. That's too big a challenge. That mountain's too high. Those giants are too big. Those cities have too large walls. You're right. You can't do it. But through you, God can do all things. That he will be your front guard and your rear guard. Nothing is hard for God. Nothing. So this is not a crisis of doubt. That's something different. This is a crisis of unbelief we'll see in, in verse 12. That's what he said. It's unbelief. There's a difference. We'll look at the difference in just a moment. But first, let me welcome those who may have just joined us here on Grow in Grace. Welcome, and we're glad to have you with us as we make our way through Hebrews chapter 3. Now with the difference between doubt and unbelief, there's Pastor Ed. 
C.S. Lewis came to understand that. Some of you know the name, Oxford Dawn. 1956, he was a confirmed bachelor. Then he met this woman. Her name was Joy Davidman. And uh, after four intensely happy years together as a married couple, she died suddenly. And it was a disaster for him. And in fact, he said he was inconsolable. And he wrote The Crisis of Doubt. He wrote these words. Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not so there's no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. Lewis later wrote, God's silence during this grief was not a sign of indifference or cruelty or abandonment. Rather, God had been at work for good. God was bringing me into a deeper experience with God than I had ever known before. The difficult refidims and the giants we face are God building us up. We'll come back to that at the end. Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. So they spent 40 years walking across a section of the Sinai that an average walker would take 11 days to make. <laughs> but they didn't want to go. They weren't ready to go. And so they kept going round and around Mount Sinai for 40 years. But the point is, God was blessing them along the way. They saw my works for 40 years. They had watched God work for decades. What do you mean work? Well, the whole water thing. You know, hit the rock and out comes water. How much water? Well, you got two million people. That's a lot of water. It comes in millions of gallons. They had that every day. So they camp. And at night, let's say you're camping, and you walk outside your tent, and you look up, and there's a pillar of fire that goes up into the heavens. And it's... Well, fire's still going. Don't think we'll have any intruders tonight. <laughs> Get back up after the sun's up, and you look, and it turns into a cloud that goes up and forms a patio over you and all the rest of the people tent camping for 40 years. They're seeing these two major miracles of the fire and the cloud, and they've got water. And every morning, there's more than 2,000 tons of bread from heaven that just appears. We got seven grain bread, four stories tall. God said, I've been showing you these things every day. Look at your shoes. Yeah, same old shoes I've been wearing for 40 years. That's the point. They didn't wear out. Now, for guys, we say, cool. You women are going, oh, no, 40 years with the same shoes? <laughs> but trust the guys on this one. Okay. The clothes, same deal. Look at your clothes. This is the same old, I'm, this whole thing? I've been wearing it for 40 years. The point? God kept it for 40 years. You're a walking miracle. For 40 years God did this, and now they're having trouble believing that he's able to take care of them? How about some meat? And then come the quail flying three foot off the ground. And it says, and they hit a homer. Homer is a measure. I'm sorry, it's a bad joke. But they, they got quail burgers, carne asada, quail tacos, depending on your preference. Okay, they saw all this, verse 10. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. Notice it's in the heart. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. They have not known my ways. Interesting statement. They didn't know 
the Lord to the level of understanding his character. Now, I have a wife, two daughters, and I know their ways. They're all slightly different. I've learned to decode that a little bit. You know, I'm not bragging. But, you know, the one daughter, she has this approach to the way she manipulates her father. I mean, talks her dad into things. I know her ways. I know it always starts out this way, and she wraps her dad around her finger like she did the day she was born, and it's lasted for all these years. And the other one, her manipulations are much more subtle. You, you really don't know until after you've been bitten. You know, it's, it's already done. But they learn from the best, who I've been married to for more than four decades, and she's the best I've ever seen. But I understand their ways. God wants us to know. It says Moses was a friend of God. He understood God's ways. What's he talking about? Character. He's so familiar with the way that God dealt with things, he knew how God was going to answer the question. And he knew how to ask questions in such a way that it would make it easier for God to answer yes. God wants you to know his ways. He wants me to learn his ways, just like someone in your family that you know and love dearly. Know my ways. Verse 11 so I swore in my anger, it says wrath, but the word is literally angry. They shall not enter my rest. My rest, again, new creation rest. The picture is of the Old Testament, but for us it translates into God did the work. That in fact he died on a cross for me and I need to accept his finished work and not try and add to it. That it is by grace I have been saved. You have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not of myself. It's all of him. And I need to leave that in his hands, in his lap. And trust him that what he said about me is true. Earthly rest, which God promised. Never again laboring to achieve through personal effort a righteousness that pleases God. Because I don't have any, you don't have any. But it is the righteousness of Christ that he gives you. It is his abounding grace. Those who receive his abounding grace and gift of righteousness shall rule through the one Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 17. Latch a hold of that. Get on board with God's gift of grace you can earn and his gift of righteousness, right standing with God. It's his gift. And then enter his new creation rest. God is calling. It's what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. New creation rest is taking what Jesus did. Last verse. Beware, brethren. Careful, brethren, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil heart in heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief. A pistis. Pistis is the word faith we talked about. Letter A in the Greek language means no. Got no faith in God. And they were ready to walk away. That's what their author is pleading with them not to do. That they had a prejudice about doing it their own way. This may seem like an unusual illustration, but I was studying this week and uh, came upon the old story of the duck-billed platypus, okay? It was discovered, of course, in Australia in the middle 1700s, and the naturalists that found it wrote back to the uh, museum of the Royal Academy in London that they had found a mammal with fur 
that laid eggs does not compute. They had a prejudice and they didn't believe. They said, well, it also lives on land and water about the same way, that it has a tail like a beaver and that it has uh, webbed feet and a bill like a duck. <laughs> well, nobody believed it. So they sent a specimen through a famous British admiral to the chief biologist at the museum of the Royal Academy of Science. He gets the specimen, it died on the way, so all he gets is the pelt, and he says, it looks like a duckbill glued to a mole skin. He didn't believe either. No one believed, and the London Times had an article that had this title on it, the greatest hoax of the century. Nobody believed. Why? Because they had this prejudice of what mammals should have and be. And don't confuse me with the facts. Don't show me the animal. It can't be true. It stayed that way for many years until more and more live specimens came and they started putting them in a zoo. And the public opinion said, look, it's alive. And then the biologists of the day in England had to accept and change their taxological cataloging, the way they said mammals do these things, they can't lay eggs, etc. The point is unbelief. They had A, pistis. They had no belief. What are you carrying around today? What are your prejudices? What is it that you bought into that would make you refuse to even listen and look at evidence that's clear? Unbelief will block you from giving your life fully to God. Now, he has a plan for you that includes giants. Thanks. Can we just pass on the giants, Lord? No, that's not something you and I can pass on. There's a whole statement here, clear in chapter 3, that we need to move on to maturity, and that often includes difficult times. Several years ago, the Times, I badmouth them, so I'll give them a compliment here, posed uh, the question, if you could relive 60 minutes of your life, relive one hour again, what hour would you select? The woman that won the contest won with this entry. Quote, after many months of waiting, followed by very difficult surgery and a great deal of pain, I was lying in my hospital bed, strapped down, and they brought into the room my new little baby girl. I looked at that baby, my daughter, and I thought of her growing up, the teenage years, my companion, my pal. I just dreamed for over an hour by that daughter, whom I was unable to pick up and hold to my heart. The next morning, I woke up to find that the crib was gone. My daughter was gone. I was already told I can never have any more children, but I would go through all the patience and all the waiting and all the pain and all that surgery again that nearly cost me my life to relive that one giant hour Jesus gave me. Today, if you will hear his voice, there's only today, and you respond, there will be giants, but you'll face those giants holding the hand of the creator of the universe. May you today take hold of the hand of your creator and find rest for your soul. We're going and growing through Hebrews right now on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. 
If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace through this study of Hebrews. And if a question comes to mind, or you're in need of prayer, or would just like to express something that's on your heart, please do email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. Again, packinghouseradio at aol.com. Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get out the good news of Jesus to a world in need. Pastor Ed Ray writes a daily devotional that you can access through our website. You can read these biblical and relevant devotionals at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on His Channel TV, where we're studying Colossians right now. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your